Welcome to the midweek edition of Couch Potato Diary. My name is Peter Klein. Thank you very much for tuning in today. If you want to get in touch with me before we get things going here, let me know on social media. I am at PrimetimeKlein on Twitter and Instagram, twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK. You can find interviews from the show on YouTube. Just search Couch Potato Diary. I am on there as PrimetimeKlein. One, the music you're listening to, provided by Wasted Talent. Find them on Twitter and Instagram. You can also find their producer, Tommy Fresh, on Twitter and Instagram as well. A couple of things I want to touch on on the show today. We will start with Major League Baseball, as the New York Yankees are done-to-done-done, as they get eliminated by the Boston Red Sox last night. And then we'll get into the gigantic shit show that is the Edmonton Elks organization after everything that's come out about them over the last 24 hours. But we start... In the Bronx, and we start with the Yankees as they fall 6-2 to the Boston Red Sox in the American League wildcard game last night. And the game itself, an interesting one. And it's one of those tricky spots that Aaron Boone is put in because Garrett Cole is your guy, right? Like he is he is the ace of aces. You spent $34 million to go out and get this guy for this moment. And it was clear essentially from the first inning that he did not have his ace stuff. He was more September Garrett Cole than April through August Garrett Cole. And, uh, credit Xander Bogarts for the home run and Kyle Schwarber. Quick note on the commentary, A-Rod, um, not the best. Talking about, well, if, if Garrett Cole has his ace stuff, Kyle Schwarber can't get to that one. It's like, that was a 97 mile an hour fastball with two strikes. Eye high. Like that was, that was not a bad pitch from Garrett Cole. That was a good swing from Kyle Schwarber and he hit the bejesus out of it. And that's enough. Um, but for, for Aaron Boone, it's so tough because you want to give your guy as long of a leash as possible. But if that is Corey Kluber or Jamison Tyone or anyone else out there, then like that, he probably doesn't even see the second inning. Cause it was just, it was so clear that he just didn't have it all night. And then the bullpen comes in and it really did seem like last night was the Yankee season in a nutshell, right? Like it was base running issues. Aaron Judge, that screen grab of the the play at home plate where the catcher's holding the ball and Judge hasn't even entered the screen yet is amazing. Bullpen struggles and the offense strikes out too much. The Judge one, I understand what Matt Vasgersian was saying where you are kind of making the Red Sox make a perfect play to get Judge at the plate, but he's out by so much that even if the ball is up the first base side on that throw home from Bogarts, then... The catcher still has time to reach over, dive back, and make it at least close at home plate. The second, and this is where I thought A-Rod's analysis was actually spot on in kind of the blind squirrel method, Um, but the ball comes off the wall perfectly to Kike Hernandez in center field. At that exact moment, you are putting the stop sign up. As soon as it is wall one hop to, to Kike, it's okay, we're not going to push this one here. At that point, that that has to be over. And that is happening, again, as A-Rod was saying, right in front of the third base coach. Because at that point, it's just, it's two easy throws and you got them, right? Like, it's not a super deep throw or anything like that. So I, I thought that was actually a major blunder from the Yankees. Like, it very much kind of reminded me of the... Um, it's kind of the opposite because it's it's showing too much aggression, I guess. But that fourth and three call in in the Patriots 
Buccaneers game where the Patriots elect to kick it, uh, kick a field goal on fourth and three. And it's like things for forever would have told you that that was probably the right move, but we've kind of adapted and understand that that's not the way you should have gone about things. And in this one, for a long time, it's, well, just make them make a perfect play. But when you see what is happening in front of you, you have to make an adjustment there. And the Yankees did not do that. And that was their last real shot in this ballgame. Because after that, the, the Red Sox put it away. And a lot of this is going to be about the Yankees because we're going to have more time to talk about the Red Sox. But credit Boston. First of all, Nate Eovaldi, that is the best he has looked, in my opinion, uh, certainly all season. And probably going back to that game they referenced in 2018 where he threw like the, the no-hit... Um, uh, extra innings relief stuff like he he was that is best case scenario for Nate Evaldi and if you get that a couple more times Boston might give Tampa Bay some problems that lineup though without JD Martinez just doesn't once you get past Bogarts at four like Verdugo can do some stuff same with Renfro like they can run into some that's basically what the Red Sox lineup is after Bogarts where it's yeah a guy could run into something that that's with uh, with Verdugo, with Renfro, with Dahlbeck, there's just, there's not enough threat there that it's tough to really think that that's going to be a lineup that gives the Rays starting rotation and bullpen any kind of an issue in the postseason. But credit Boston, like Xander Bogart's coming up with some big moments. Raphael Devers, I thought his approach at the plate, I'm not breaking any news here. He walked twice and then got another count to 3-2. I thought he was phenomenal. And then defensively, they were great. But Ivaldi is the story in this game. He was fantastic. But now back back to the Yankee side of things, just to, to kind of run through what we talked about. The bullpen struggles, yes, they had to go a little bit longer than would have been ideal. And the issue, I think, for the Yankees, and I get it is an elimination game, so you kind of just got to go with what you got. And they they threw out, to credit the Yankees in this sense, they went with their best guys early to just try to keep the game as close as possible. Like you go to Severino about an inning earlier than you would have liked, and you go with um, Loizaga probably an inning earlier than you would have liked in green and just on down the line. Everyone was an inning or two earlier than you would have liked in that situation. And I thought this was a real example of they just needed one more pitcher to try to extend this thing. They needed one more kind of a long relief starter guy to that you have confidence in to get you to where you were comfortable with those guys. Because Severino did not look sharp at all. He's able to get through it, but nothing looked like a plus pitch coming from Severino, right? Like it was all kind of flat. And again, he doesn't get beat up too bad, but it, it didn't look like a spectacular outing. And then Loizaga had electric stuff coming in, but that second inning, you could just see this is not a guy who is used to trying to get four, five, six outs. And he had a real time with the location and he ends up getting pulled and that's that's the ball game there. So I thought for the Yankees, again, it's just, it's so many of the things that crept up during the regular season now popping up in the playoffs as major issues and major flaws for this team. And a lot of what I'm going to say after is going to make it sound like this was a Yankee team that won 75 games. This was still a very good baseball team, but I think we saw the ceiling of this Yankees team. Like I, I don't, when you look at the rest of the play, like you look at the American League playoff teams, the the five that make it in, the three division winners and the two wildcard teams, I'd put the Yankees comfortably fifth. And that is like, even looking at everyone's best case scenario, I'm putting the Yankees comfortably fifth. And biases aside, I would say Toronto, they don't make it to the playoffs, but I, I would put Toronto in as a more dangerous team than the Yankees right now. And it's just all those issues popped up and they just needed one more guy. 
And the the last issue that I haven't really addressed here, too many strikeouts. Like that that approach at the plate was very unYankee like. And it did kind of seem like the desperation of the moment really got to the Yankees in this spot where they were trying to, especially once they were down, they were trying to to tie it all up with one swing. And that approach that has made the Yankees famous for my entire lifetime just was not there for this team. And I think this now really drives home the need for change in New York. First and foremost, I think Aaron Boone has coached his last game with the the Yankees. I I don't think he's terrible, but I don't think he is what this team needs. And <laughs> look, if the Yankees were to fire Brian, any other GM in the league, you'd be considering firing Brian Cashman um, with the expectations that are on New York, right? But he certainly has earned the benefit of the doubt. But I also think this is probably the last coaching hire he's going to get to make without there being significant improvement to this team. So that makes the Yankees probably the most interesting team coming up this offseason because you have the marquee franchise, one of like the top two marquee franchises in sports, with a clear need to improve and an offseason almost tailor-made to their improvement. Aside from the bullpen thing, which which we talked about with the Blue Jays on Monday, this isn't... This is a, a offseason that has a lot of big-name relievers, but a lot of those guys are over the hill. Starting pitching-wise, a couple interesting names out there from a, a New York perspective. They need more pitching. They need to figure out shortstop, which makes this perfect for them because every good shortstop in the league is essentially available to them. They have to figure out what they're doing with Gleyber Torres. They have to figure out what they're doing with DJ LeMahieu. And they have to figure out what they're doing with Anthony Rizzo. There are so many interesting decisions for the Yankees this year. They are the team to watch every offseason. But I think this offseason, it's them and the Angels to see what they're... And the Mets too, I guess, to see what they are going to do this offseason. I think the Gleyber Torres decision is really, really fascinating. Because he played an excellent second base last night. And I will admit I have not got enough viewings of him as a second baseman to say, oh yeah, he's a solid defender at second base. But one of the things I think the Yankees really need to figure out is what they are doing defensively. Because you can't you can't suck at both pitching and defense. And the Yankees kind of did for a lot of the season. Like the, this this lineup was elite, right? Like the, there is there is no questioning how good this lineup is. Like one of the best in baseball. But a lot of teams hit the hell out of a baseball this year. The Blue Jays had seven guys with 20 home runs this year. We are in an era in baseball where everyone can slug it. So you kind of got to do the other things at least moderately well to be able to take that next step. And I think Glaber Torres probably is a better defensive second baseman than DJ LeMahieu. And do you want LeMahieu over at third? You don't want Torres at, at short. My thought is that the Yankees are going to back the Brinks truck up over to Trevor Story and get him at shortstop for them. That's that, that's kind of how I think it's going to be. But then it's an interesting decision because LeMahieu is too good of a bat to just take out to pasture. Um, but Torres probably has a better glove at second base and defense was a major issue for this team and something they need to shore up. Are you comfortable with... Um, DJ LeMahieu over at third base and keeping Gleyber Torres in when Gio Urshela can actually do a couple of things over at third. Like, I just, I think the Gleyber Torres situation is interesting. I think eventually Torres probably gets moved for a couple of extra arms for the Yankees, but that that's one, there was a lot of pressure on him right away when he came up and the shortstop thing hasn't worked. And I think that makes this such, such a, a difficult decision for the Yankees to make. At first base, Luke Voigt can never play another game at first base for the Yankees again. I I think that one's very clear. 
Anthony Rizzo might be over the hill, but the Yankees are a team that can kind of afford to pay to, to overpay a guy who fits a specific set of needs for them. Like as as just a left-handed go out and hit a couple of bombs but play a very good defensive first base, the Yankees can afford to overpay for that type of a guy. So I, I think actually Rizzo is a very good fit for the Yankees going forward, as frustrating as that would be cheering for a team that's in their division. But I, I think it makes a lot of sense to have Anthony Rizzo there playing first base for uh, the Yankees, and then it's the the starting pitching thing. Like, do they go out and try to acquire uh, a Robbie Ray? Do do they make a bid in the the Marcus Stroman area? Well, what does Justin Verlander do this off season? Um, that's not really a immediate help for next year, but still, like that, there are so many questions around this Yankee team, and again, they are the premier franchise in Major League Baseball, and to have them going into this off season with so many different questions, this could be. A real fun offseason to monitor in the big leagues. As far as tonight goes, it's the Dodgers and the Cardinals. And I just, like, the the Dodgers had, like, 50 more wins than the Cardinals this season. That's only a little bit hyperbolic. I just get this sense. Like, there are just so many injuries around this Dodgers team right now. And they have built an incredible amount of depth. Don't get me wrong. But it's just, like, the Muncie injury is not great. And it's Scherzer pitching, so you, you kind of get over it with Kershaw. But... I don't know. There's just something about this game that makes me feel like it's going to be it's going to be a close one. Now, Adam Wainwright is not Adam Wainwright of 10 years ago. He's not even Adam Wainwright from 5 years ago or even 3 years ago. But he still knows what this type of a situation requires and what this type of a situation needs. That being said, if he goes out and gets lit for 5 in the first tonight, I'm not stunned either because his Dodgers team can still be real good. I don't think this is the absolute locked-in home run pick of the Dodgers that a lot of people are saying it is. It just, it feels like this could be a potential banana peel moment for the Dodgers, which would be too bad because Dodgers against Giants, if we could petition the league to make that a seven-game series instead of a five-game series, that would be really, really great because I I think it'll be fun. But either way, as I pointed out on the, the Twitch stream yesterday, the National League race is going to be a blast to watch. And I, I can't wait. It's, yeah, I just last... Last night I was so giddy getting ready for the game and then uh, I ended up watching the game this morning. But still, watching the game, I was just... Playoff baseball is the best. And there's all due respect to any of the other sports, there's nothing like the drama that builds pitch to pitch to pitch and how much you can analyze everything in the 20 to 30 seconds before the pitcher throws the next one. It is it is unparalleled and I love it so much. Hopefully we get uh, a bit of a closer one tonight as the Dodgers take on the Cardinals. Music that you hear on Couch Potato Diary is provided by Wasted Talent. Find them on Instagram at Wasted Talent. There are X's in their name where the A's would be. You can also find their producer on Instagram at Tommy Fresh Music. So, not a banner week for the Edmonton Elks franchise. Let's let's start from the beginning. Quick rundown, and then go more in depth on the issues as it goes along. First of all, they provide the Ottawa Red Blacks with their second win of the season. Uh, Both Ottawa wins coming against the Edmonton franchise this year, which we all know how we feel about Ottawa as a football team, i.e. they are not very good, uh, which does not represent well for Edmonton, who now have as many wins as a very bad Ottawa team, albeit in only seven games. But um, hey, look at that. Uh, Ottawa's only played seven games as well. So after that... 
it is revealed that Eddie Steele, color commentator for 630 Ched for the football games, has been a let go for uh, not fitting in culturally after comments made about Brock Sunderland. Once that wonderful little bit of news is revealed, it gets uh, further reported by Robin Brownlee, respected Edmonton uh, media personality, that Sunderland also banned Joey Moss from the locker room for the Edmonton Elks franchise. This is a disaster for the Edmonton Elks, Brock Sunderland, and the Canadian Football League. Like, it, it is, yeah, disaster is the only way to put it. So let's let's go through this in chronological order. Not necessarily in how we found out about these, but chronologically from the, the events when they took place, we believe to uh, now. First, the report comes out from Robin Brownlee that Brock Sunderland banned Joey Moss, uh, the now late Joey Moss, from the locker room. The single most beloved figure, I would suggest, in Canadian sports, and the only reason I'm not saying in sports around the world is I'm not confident in my knowledge that there, there isn't another one, but even if there is, dude is on the Mount Rushmore for the most beloved figures in the history of sport. But he is banned from the locker room. That is an absolute slap in the face to an Edmonton sports legend, the Edmonton sporting community, and also, maybe least of which, to Wayne Gretzky, who made sure that Moss was taken care of when Wayne Gretzky left the Edmonton Oilers for the LA Kings. He, he made it abundantly clear that this is not an individual who should just be cast aside because Wayne Gretzky was not there anymore. And you see all the tributes after um, Joey passed away, how beloved this, uh, this man was, not only with the Edmonton Oilers organization, but with Edmonton sports fans and Canadian sports fans around the world. You, you, you really saw how attached so many people were to the life and legacy of Joey Moss. So you ban Moss, who I never had the, the privilege of meeting, but from what I gather, if Sunderland has one bad thing to say about Moss, he's the first. Then your team earlier this season is ravaged by COVID to the point that you have essentially hijacked the back half of the CFL schedule to try to fit it around your team. And look, I don't want this to get into a vaccinated versus unvaccinated debate. What we can't debate is what CFL protocol is, and what we can't debate is what was pretty clearly not followed by Edmonton. Whatever you think of the, the vaccine rules, it's like if you're super pro-steroids, that doesn't matter. You can't just go around injecting everyone with banned substances. They are banned. Like the CFL with the vaccine situation, you can't just go against them because you feel some kind of way. I have no inside information as to what Edmonton was doing, but I'm going to guess leadership wasn't super strong on the whole vaccination thing. And now the report that Eddie Steele gets let go by 630 Ched because he's critical of the culture that Sunderland has built with the Edmonton franchise. Again, no, in, in, no inside information, but I'm going to suggest that Ched 
either didn't come up with this idea or didn't have a lot of pushback from Sunderland when it came to this decision. One of my least favorite parts of football culture is these guys who think they're General Patton when in reality they're barely a toy soldier come in under the guise of culture and try to control every aspect of people's lives so they can go home and pretend they're some kind of alpha. The Edmonton Football Organization has an incredible history and legacy and this guy is doing unbelievable damage to it. And that's before you get to the disappointment that this team is this year on the football field. Sunderland needs to be less focused on what Eddie Steele is saying and more on why he has the opportunity to say that. It is one of my biggest pet peeves in all of covering sports where players or teams think that they are entitled to everything being positive, uh, everything that's being said about them be positive all the time when that is entirely not accurate. If a fan crosses the line, if a media member crosses the line of something too personal or offensive, then yeah, by all means, take your shots. If someone is being critical of your decisions, you gotta grow up and take that. That's just, that is part of the job. I didn't get into media thinking that, oh, everyone's just going to agree with everything I say and it's gonna be awesome. And then the first time someone disagrees with you, it's like, oh, well, they can't say that. It kind of comes with the territory. If you say something like the, the few people in my crew who told me to kill myself, eh, that's probably crossing a line. If you just say, hey, I wonder what they're doing there, that's a perfectly logical thing to have done. It's become very clear that Sunderland is not talented enough at his job to fix the actual problem. So now he's just going to try to control the things that he can control. And quite frankly, it's pathetic scene. I just can't stand that kind of stuff. Like just guys, who, it's bully sounds like a childish word for it, but it really is just a guy who's a bully who wants to feel bigger about himself. So they try to control everything else and they think they're above everyone. I, I hate it. 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 I can't stand it. Um, from an, uh, a CFL fan standpoint, this is not the shit we want to be talking about. We had a couple of exciting games over the weekend. We have a big weekend coming up. It's Thanksgiving weekend in Canada. This should be a fun time in the CFL. This is not a league that can afford negative headlines like this one. And I, I do understand that worrying about headlines shouldn't necessarily be a major concern for a league, but one that just lost a season and kind of needs some help. This is not the stuff that should be going on. Brock Sunderland Job performance-wise, probably needs to go in Edmonton. Human being-wise, definitely needs to go. And from a CFL standpoint, Randy Ambrosi, you almost get the feeling he needs to make a phone call and be like, hey, I heard Brock resigned today. That's that's too bad. Oh, well, Bro Bro Brock didn't resign. Oh, that's so, that's so strange because I... I have his resignation letter printed out right here on my desk. I am noticing it's missing a couple of signatures. So maybe, maybe there's a miscommunication. I'll just send it to you guys so you can get those signatures figured out and then you can just send it back to me. Maybe I'm more worked up about this than I should be, but this is such a bullshit move. W whether it's the firing of a guy for speaking his mind or the banning of a, a wonderful human being and someone who is held up as such a light in what is an otherwise dark sports world. I just can't stand that kind of stuff. And it drives me up the wall. So hopefully something gets figured out in Edmonton. And for, for Elks fans, like this is this is the type of stuff where you kind of understand why people stop being fans of teams. Like it's on the field, you get what you get. It, I mean, look, to each their own. Be, be a fan however you want to be a fan. But to see this kind of stuff happen with the team that you're cheer for, you cheer for, it makes it very tough to cheer for that team. So Elks fans, I feel for you right now.
That's going to do it for the show today. Fun place to end things off. Thank you very much for tuning in. Remember, rate, review, subscribe wherever possible. You can find me on social media. I am at PrimetimeKlein on Twitter and Instagram, twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK. You can email the show CouchPotatoDiary at Yahoo.com. More from me this week. We had no idea coming up sometime later this week. The Sports Rewind podcast on the Fresh Take Network comes out tomorrow. And then I'm back with a fighting and football Friday. And I might have a little bit of Twitch mixed in there as well. Thank you guys for tuning in. Talk to you later this week. I'm out. <laughs>